0: Hello and welcome to Mainstream. Uh, it's what the Pixelsiff team has been playing. Uh, and you know Pixel Pixelsiff because we've made our name delivering some of the best indie games coverage made in from games made in Australia and around the world. This is Mainstream episode 10. And on Mainstream, we discuss what high-profile blockbuster games we've been playing recently, both from our back catalogs or, in the case of this week, brand, brand new, uh, as well as what we've been reading in the news. And I'm Christo. Thank you so much for joining me again for another episode of Mainstream.
1: Hello, hello. How's it going?
0: It's going super cool. Um, Now, uh, you've been digging into one of the big blockbuster games that came out last Friday. Tell us, what have you been playing?
1: Have I been digging into it or has it been like digging into me? I've I've been playing a lot of Doom Eternal and I feel like it's a game that it plays you. um, And we'll talk a little bit about that more in detail soon. But yeah, it's
0: intense and visceral is one way to put it. And I've been finding every single moment I possibly can uh, to play a bit of Animal Crossing New Horizons, which uh, has also just come out and I think it almost the most perfect time for it to come out. Uh, Let's jump in, shall we? Australia's best video game podcast.
1: Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever podcasts are found.
0: Adam, I've just arrived on planet Earth. What is Doom? What is Doom Eternal? Oh God. Okay. So I, I suppose Doom
1: for me, my my initial memories of Doom is my mum playing Doom when I was a little kid and it was my introduction to video games in a big way. So probably one of the most influential first person shooters of all time, um, a, a kind of gory over the top metal album come to life aesthetic. Um, The classic story of a bunch of nerds in a dorm room creating a video game that they were passionate about in the early 90s. And Doom Eternal follows on from that kind of pedigree. Um, And it's the sequel to Doom 2016, which was a reboot of the franchise by Bethesda and id Software. Um, And this is yeah basically a direct sequel from Doom 2016, um, and loosely seems to be based on some of the plot from Doom 2, where I guess... Hell invades Earth itself and you've got shotguns and big guns and you're fighting demons and you're bouncing around kind of combat arenas and it's full of frenetic, fast-paced combat. Um, And it's very over the top.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things that I really realised, because I just played through Doom 2016 for the very first time about a month ago, not even a couple of weeks ago, um, and the thing that really kind of really surprised me, modern shooters these days feel much slower than Doom does. And Doom just feels like it's so quick. You're running around and bouncing around and, you know, jumping from place to place and always switching, switching, switching really quickly. Um, It it, would seem like they really nailed it with Doom uh, 2016, but what have they done for the the new one that's kind of like taken that to another level?
1: Yeah, it is like an adrenaline shot, isn't it? And, and and I think that's what a lot of people really liked about Doom 2016 was it was a it was a refreshing relook at what was happening in the shooter space. And I am not the biggest fan of FPS games, like and but I will admit that like I feel like the last 10 years of that genre had become hyper focused on regenerating health and cover mechanics. And a whole bunch of stuff that had become baked in into what people expected from a shooter. So when Doom 2016 came around and built this kind of core combat loop of, um, you know, glory kill abilities to recharge health by uh, attacking enemies at certain moments and then using a chainsaw ability to get ammo back. And it just kind of created this feedback loop of fast, frenetic-paced combat where you're constantly recharging your resources um, and have to be constantly in combat to do both those things. Doom Eternal kind of adds some extra layers onto that core focus. so. Um, there is now a flamethrower that you have that will will set enemies on fire and then when you attack them while they're on fire they'll drop armor uh, points so that you can start regenerating your armor along with doing glory kills to get your health back and also chainsawing things to get your ammo back and then there's a whole bunch of different kind of weapons that have different kind of um, secondary modes that are specifically used to attack certain types of enemies that are weak to them. Um, And then, so you'll be constantly bouncing between all your weapons, constantly swapping between different sorts of things. And yeah, it's just like a constant loop that happens at a hyper kind of sonic speed in combat in this game, which is frankly, the best part of this game is like when all cylinders are on and you're in a really cool combat arena and a million enemies are attacking you at once and you're freaking out trying to figure out what's got what ammo and what are you shooting now and where are you moving and are you going to shift over there really quickly or are you going to jump on this jump pad, that's when this game is working really good.
0: I, I, the one, I mean there was am- armor in, in the game but it was more like a pickup that you'd kind of find around yeah. the place and I found most of the time I basically had no armor because the only thing that I could get back was health And and you know I was pretty much always topped up with health playing the game but does the added I guess armor and some of the other bits and pieces in that really changed the way you play the game or is it just sort of adding to that uh, already what was there?
1: It does, but I think it also kind of like um, complicates things in a level, which I think is, is kind of really fascinating. So it's like doom eternal is kind of like, let's get everything that worked in doom and add like five more things to it. Um, So there's also like a rune system that you can kind of slot to give yourself passive abilities. I.E. if you do like a, a gory glory kill, maybe you'll move faster afterwards. um There's also like stat points that you can kind of add in so that, like, if you do a glory kill, maybe it regenerates some of your health. Or so there's like all this other stuff that kind of starts adding on. So it's just like system after system after system starts layering itself onto itself. Feels like there's like an over complication here. And every time they bring in like a new mechanic, the game actually warps you into a tutorial room to kind of explain it to you, which feels
0: very undo me um yeah i kind noticed of hard that yeah explain. people kind of had these little pop-ups where you know it would tell you how to defeat a particular enemy the first time you came across it um, oh yeah
1: that and- um, so, so that's even like another thing so um yeah the game will just be like yo here's a new monster by the way have you tried your freeze grenade and it's like well i would have liked to have learned to try my freeze grenade myself but thank you for telling the game um so that's kind of like there's this tutorialization which is a little bit of a bummer but for me, actually not too bad as someone who is not like the number one FPS player, it has actually been quite nice to be handheld. But I think if you were kind of coming in from Doom 2016, you'd be a little bit disappointed by what feels like a little bit of a regression there. Um, And then we get to like the way that this game treats story and like the world itself, which is like a bit of a bummer. Because I think Doom 2016 was really great because it had its tongue in its cheek. The main character would would just walk off when people would kind of like... Talk about the story in front of me. He would punch like the screen if there was like text on it. You know, it was just very funny. It was very silly. It, it kind of knew that it was a Doom game and it was really here for the action. This game has you watching cutscenes with characters I don't care about, talking about things I am not interested in, and it seems to be very focused on the seriousness of its lore. And while the lore is quite metal and kind of cool, I'm also just like it feels like it's lost that sense of fun that the original Doom 2016 had. Outside of the
0: combat, which is actually brilliant. Mm. Um, Half the fun I had was kind of going through and finding other little, you know, collectibles which would unlock bits of the lore. But you're saying so much of that is now put in the well, forefront. It's oh, so it is there as well.
1: Yeah, like there's the collectibles, and you can read lots of different little entries. But you will literally walk into rooms, and then like there will be characters having cutscenes with you for about thirty seconds that you can't skip. That sort of thing that you would expect from like a modern FPS game is now inside Duda Terminal. This game. And what I loved about Doom 2016 was it seemed to just kind of buckle the conventions of what traditional shooters were doing at the time to kind of really focus on this kind of hypersonic combat mm. as its priority. Mm. And now it feels like Doom Eternal is kind of torn between two ideas of what it wants to be. That being said, it's still OTT. It's got a really cool soundtrack. I mean, like half the fun of this game for me is like, where is the music going to go? Um, you know, it's just like soon as combat starts, these ridiculous chuggy metal riffs kind of kick in and just keep intensifying. And yeah, I'm, I'm like hyper impressed with how great and how much thought has been put into the music production of this. Composed
0: game. by an Australian, actually Mick Gordon. Did you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's impressive. And there's a choir in this game as well. They, they made a metal choir um, featuring lots of different metal members. Um, Then it kind of pops up at just the right time when you want to hear a whole bunch of kind of like metal vocalists doing weird dirgey stuff. Um, Like it's very atmospheric and cool. There's some really great like um, kind of set design and kind of like um, level design as well, which I find really awesome. Um, Yeah. It's just such a kind of weird middle ground that I find myself in where the best parts of this game uh, tend to be let down a little bit by some elements of bloat that kind of drag a little, but I'm still having such a fun time with it that I'm kind of willing to let all of that slide,
0: if that makes sense. Mm. All right. So what was the, one of the bits that really stuck out to you as something that was like, this is the the key experience of Doom Eternal?
1: Oh, probably like the first time I found an optional arena area. So there's like, you know, you the way these games sort of work based is like you'll kind of go through a main kind of like, tunnel or an area that's kind of like very narrow and linear and you'll kind of pop out into a big arena where you'll fight a whole bunch of spawning waves of demons and monsters and stuff um, but they have a couple of those arenas that are kind of hidden away in corners tucked away that you need to unlock and get into and those ones tend to be about 15 times harder than the main ones um, and really frenetic and super exciting to play like there's just lots of interesting combinations of monsters and the first one that I was in that I found was so exciting and so much fun it felt like everything clicked at once. Um, it was, it was, yeah, really great. Just one of those moments where game feel is, like, so exciting and just the act of playing the game is so visceral that you're just trapped in the moment completely. And so who would you recommend this game for? Teens. <laughs> Angsty <laughs> I'm not, teens? I'm not, really, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's so juvenile, but I think that there's a lot of fun um, in just how silly and over the top it is. I mean, like, it, it is hyper-violent and I, I, I do kind of, um, like, I feel like that's a little bit of, like, it's a bit schlocky in that way. It's almost like a trauma horror film or something in, yeah. in, in its use of violence. Um, but I think that like, if you, you love first-person shooters, you love Doom 2016, I think that there's still a lot here for you. Mm-hmm. I think that if you don't do shooters, um, just the way that this game plays with its frenetic combat is so enjoyable that it's worth giving a crack. But I would almost argue Doom 2016 is there for you if you want to try that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah i'm not I'm not sure who this is for other than people that like know that they'll have a good time with it already.
0: yeah, it's really interesting because I'm not a metal person at all um just kind of step inside this this world which really felt like you're inside the cover of a of a metal album in a way um, and kind of look all the you know the overtones and all the lore and you know I know people who have loved all the doom games for for years and years and years and there's a big community of, of people who are right behind it so um, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, let's jump into our next blockbuster game, Animal Crossing New Horizon.
1: This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift.
0: So two big games came out on the 20th of March 2020. The other one that everyone has been talking about online, sometimes in concert with uh, with Doom, is Animal Crossing New Horizon, which has just arrived for the Nintendo Switch um, and this is my very first experience with ever playing an Animal Crossing game um, and I'm really loving it so far. That's so interesting, it's my first experience with Animal Crossing as well. And yeah, what do you reckon of it so far? How's it, has it sort of, what did you come in thinking it was going to be and, and how's it sort of treated you?
1: It's so soft and gentle, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of like, um, kind of exactly what I needed right now in this particular point in history that we seem to be living through. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so for people who wouldn't have ever come across Animal Crossing, maybe you are like me and you've never played one before, the one that has appeared on Switch—is New Horizons. Um, so Animal Crossing is kind of like a, it's sort of a town management simulator. Um, you will land on a, an island that has nothing on it um, and you will come along with a couple of other villagers and it's your sort of o- opportunity then to sort of build up this this deserted island to whatever you'd like it to be. It's kind of like the fantasy you have. You know, if you have a de- desert island, how could you build it out to be whatever you want? There's a lot of similar elements to games you would have played if you played something like Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley, or that sort of town management, building up things over days. And quite quite interesting about it is it's actually the, – the clock in it is real time. And, you know, you are quite often gated by uh, what will happen in, in real time. So, you know, you might – Cor- you know, collect all the resources that you need to get to unlock a certain building. Um, but if you you need to come back tomorrow, like actually tomorrow, not like in-game tomorrow, like actually tomorrow, uh, and then the game will, will finish the particular thing. So there's sort of an interesting sort of semi-MMO sort of aspect to it away, or it even feels a bit like a, uh, like a mobile game in a lot of ways. There's sort of like a sort of self-imposed timers and things like that. Um, but, yeah, you know what? It is just so nice just to be sitting in there, you know, getting some getting some fruit from different islands visiting finding coconuts planting little gardens building out nice little villi- uh, villages and stuff like that it's just it seems like exactly the sort of game for someone to sit inside uh, and play this game if you happen to be in isolation at the moment so
1: yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the the time mechanics because uh, I, I've, I've been interested by what I've been seeing on my Twitter feed, which is probably everyone's Twitter feed at the moment, which is everyone is playing this game. Um, but the amount of people trying to do as much as they can in this game when really it's kind of built around the idea that you kind of dip in for a couple of hours a day and then you wait patiently for things to unlock. And I'm wondering, have, have you felt that tension where you're like, man, I just want the next thing to happen so nope. I can do more stuff?
0: <laughs> Not in in the slightest, actually. I can understand why. Maybe because I've got no preconception of what I actually have to do to kind of unlock certain things and people are kind of like, all right, we need to do all this sort of stuff. The only thing that I have done um, was I kind of like I like fishing. I quite like fishing in the game and I like catching bugs, which is like another aspect of this. And when you collect those up, you can use them to fill out an in-game museum with different like an aquarium and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm like I've accumulated a lot of that, but I'm not no, I'm not in any rush, you know, and I feel like you know. this, this isn't a game that, you know, you, you could min-max it, but I kind of feel like that's sort of not the point. Um, and, you know, I've been watching lots of people, and you've probably seen them as well on Twitter, people who can't go out at the moment because as we record this right now on the, on the 23rd of, of March, a lot of Australia and the world is actually in lockdown. You know, people are using this as an opportunity to just go, like, dress up their cute little characters and go visit their friends' islands and just hang out um in a way that we can't really do at the moment and just feels like this feels really nice
1: yeah there's a social element well it is a game that is very social but there's a socialness to this that has been very comforting over the last week or two um like and and it's just the little pleasures that this game has it has such a fun sense of humor like um dropping off bugs to the museum is like a perverse pleasure that i have because blathers who curates the museum hates all bugs yeah um and there's just a lot of fun in being like i brought you some more spiders that you're going to really dislike (sighs) um put them in that room
0: well um eventually blathers i'll collect them all you know then you will never have to receive another bug from me so
1: yeah. And the museum is
0: great. Like, yeah. I think it's actually one of the coolest
1: like environments and spaces that I've explored mm. in a game this year. Like the amount of craft that they've put into the various wings and areas and places of the museum is like, cause it just unlocked for me today. So I spent like three hours mm. going through it going, whoa, um, this is cool. And I need to find everything in this game to put it in that room.
0: But do you feel pressure to find everything in this game? Because I sort of don't, you know, like I, I, you know, I am a sort of person who does like to collect a lot of things and finish out achievement lists and stuff like that. And there is a sort of like unlockable achievement list um, in there, which sort of progresses you through the game. But I just don't feel that pressure. And it's kind of like good to just have something to just chuck on, play for maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then, uh, you know, go back to doing something else, like maybe playing Doom Eternal or whatever else, you know.
1: That's definitely how I'm playing it as well. It's it's weird because like these sorts of like make-worky kind of games have never really clicked for me that much in the past. I've always felt like I needed some sort of rough guide, guidance or direction. It's why games like Minecraft never sunk their their teeth into me um and and i'm finding this animal crossing to be kind of like a middle ground where i'm feeling compelled to go into the game every day but i'm wondering if i'll eventually hit that point where i tend to do with these sorts of non-linear sort of crafting based kind of make what you will sort of games where i just get bored and and feel like the incentive to go back in doesn't happen but i think there is a charm to this game that's keeping me there um, that I think if it didn't have its art style it didn't have its sense of humor and its warmth I probably wouldn't feel the the compulsion to go back into the world on a daily basis
0: I think the thing for me that's really sort of stood out like I we I've spent a bit of time with a, with a friend of the show, uh, Andrew on, um, playing uh, the other night. And we just, we were kind of at a point where there wasn't a huge amount for us to do on each other's islands, but we were just kind of bouncing back and forth and like showing off different designs that we've made for each for our clothing and for different bits and pieces. And that was really kind of fun to be. So I can't wait to get like more and more people involved, uh, you know, in joining, uh, each other's islands and sort of checking it out. Um, I, in terms of like who I think this pro- game is probably for, I'd say, look, it really is quite broad. If you are a fan of those sort of, if you know, you might have a sort of interested in sort of mobile game stuff and you can see a lot of the same sort of key core concepts between a lot of mobile games. Um, you know, there's lots of little tasks you can build up. It feels a bit like an MMO, but without the MMO pressure of having to, to do something every single day, finish your dailies, like you can do them or just don't do them. Go do something else. No, but I have
1: right. to. I have to get the weeds out every single day <laughs> and I have
0: to hit the rocks. I yeah. have to hit the rocks to yeah, get so my yeah, eye. I don't know. I Maybe we're approaching it completely differently. But, yeah, I think there is a bit that in that. It's not the pressure of like, you know, you don't actually have to, like no one else is going to pressure you like an MMO if you're not at this particular gear score or whatever it is you know, and, you know, maybe it's the moment that uh, everyone needs just to sit quietly inside, hang out with their friends on chat and, and do it. And everyone, it's pretty much all ages. There's nothing in it that would be um, inappropriate for anyone. And, and, you know, like those good cartoons that you watch that are made for kids, you know, there's a lot of interesting references that will probably sail over the top of a kid's head. But you'll probably Speaking. Get, yeah. Sorry.
1: Speaking of references, do we feel that this game has some, like, and I think this will fly over kids' heads, but yeah. the politics of this game is a bit fraught at times. Yeah. Like, what is that with Tom Nook? Like, he's just taking you for a ride, make, inventing currencies, suddenly throwing you into debt. Yeah. Um, he's a bit sus. He's a crypto, this, crypto dude. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this entire plot of, like, you know, exchanging your Nook miles for tickets to go to deserted islands, which you'll never go back to, so you can strip mine their resources. Yeah. Which, so you feel slightly uncomfortable, it does but feel a I bit like really that. We needed to build that awesome bench, so I did chop up all those trees. Yeah, um, well, mm. the
0: trees aren't real, but <laughs> what is it teaching people? I don't know. Yeah, it is. I did think about that as well. And one of uh, one of the friends of the show, Oscar Britton, who, who's been on um, on Pixel Sift before, he named his uh, his island Straya. Um, and then there's kind of dialogue in that to go along the lines of like, oh, well, we were glad because when we arrived in Australia, there was absolutely nothing here. And he's like, yeah, I'm regretting that now. And I can't change it. So, Oh yeah. no. Yeah. So what do you name your Island? So I call my Island, uh, King Canup, which is the, uh, noongar word for the town of Albany, where I've been working for a, a long time. Um, so nice. it's, it's, no, it doesn't have a dual naming, but that's what it's known as. So that's the name I went for. What'd you go for? I went for Outset Island to go a little Zelda reference. Oh, that's really good. Very, very good. So, yeah, if you like it, uh, I think I recommend checking out. Make sure you've got a few friends who can do it. And once your friends, um, you know, can show you the ropes, that's a great way to do it. So, that's uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons out now on Nintendo Switch. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixelsift. Visit us on Pixelsift.com.au. So, Adam, it's almost at the big console release time. We're just about to head into the the new ones here. The specs for uh, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X uh, have just been released. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of spec she- sheets, um, I just kind of look at them all and go, oh, cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> i won't lie i'm like when's the digital
1: foundry video coming out that explains all of this to me um but yeah i mean like from what i understand everyone seems to be pretty excited about both um console specs and they're very similar and very close in terms of how like powerful they are it seems that the i think the common description i'm being ta- i'm reading about is like the xbox series x is like a luxury sports car but the playstation 5 is like a subaru Uh, which I've read like four or five times on different websites now and knowing nothing about cars. I don't know what that means, (laughs) Um, but from what I understand, the PlayStation five tends to have a better solid state drive that will load things just slightly faster and have better load times. But the Xbox series X will be a bit more um, powerful and have a bit more kind of um, um, strength when it comes to the actual like um, graphics capabilities of itself. Mm. So, you know, take what you will. Um, I think both sound really interesting. I think um yeah i, I don't know I, i'm not sure which one i'd go with if i had to pick like one that i was going to jump to in the next console generation i'm probably leaning towards the xbox series x simply because of all the backwards ca- capability options mm. that they've kind of hinted at which seem really satisfying to me um and the game pass have-
0: makes a big g- compelling argument for xbox as well you know their sort mm. of subscription gaming thing i don't know you, do you have the game pass I do. And I use it all the time. So I'm playing Ori and the
1: Will of the Wisps through Game Pass at the moment, which is great. That game is fantastic. And I feel like Games Pass is like the cost of it for the last three months has been made by the experience that I'm having playing that one game. (laughs) Um, But this because Games Pass is also on PC as well, I'm getting a lot of great PC-based games that I wouldn't have a chance to play otherwise. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of really interested to see where things go with with both consoles. It's
0: kind of, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, but it's kind of Interesting because, you know, obviously the E3 uh, convention has been cancelled due to the uh, COVID-19 worldwide pandemic, which means a lot of the stuff that we would have seen, you know, maybe the first trailers of games and stuff uh, like that has, has not happened. So it's kind of like they've done these little press conferences where they've dropped the statistics of... Of what that is or so they put it on social media saying here are the the specs for the new consoles but kind of at the moment they're so abstract it's kind of like well what does that actually even mean and you know there's been pretty interesting stuff like you know is the you know the, if you can protect the nintendo switch like not a super powerful console but in terms of changing the way that people played games like that's amazing so you know are specs lists even something that people really care about i'm i am curious if you listen to mainstream and you want to get in on and tell us you can always add us on on pixel sifter on social media uh, whether or not you love all these spec sheets but yeah it's it's an interesting sort of moment don't you think
1: yeah i i do think people actually care about these things like i i remember a lot from the launch of the playstation 4 and the xbox um one whatever it's called the xbox xbox so one years ago now <laughs> the xbox one The X-Bone. And I I just remember the initial response that I think drove a lot of people to PlayStation was finding out those specs and seeing that it seemed like the Xbox was the weaker of the two consoles. And that seemed to create a bias in a lot of people, I think, very early on that made them adopt the PlayStation Mm -hmm. um, quite quickly. And it was quite interesting as well because the previous console generation, the PlayStation 3, hadn't quite um, picked up in the way that the Xbox 360 had. And so it was interesting to see that kind of dominance also that shift so quickly happen um, from from console generation. So yeah, it's it's kind of weird. But I, I won't lie, I'm reading these specs right now. And if you know what custom eight twenty five G B SSD with five point five GBS raw typical eight point nine GBS compressed IO throughput means, then it's cool.
0: PlayStation five faster. Xbox one not as fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for reading stuff. Um, yeah, and there's other stuff like, you know, they've got particular, like the graphics cards are, you know, close. But, you know, I don't think it really means anything in the grand scheme of things. Like developers can write specifically to a piece of hardware, uh, which means long after the, the console generations are sort of passed and we get to the tail end, we can still see amazing games. Like, you know, games like The Last of Us or Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, which are well and truly... Into the you know the you know deck almost a decade of, of PlayStation Four and still able to pull amazing things out of it so it's all kind of a bit academic I guess in all these sort of things but yeah it'd be interesting to see when it all comes out and they can roll some games out for us to see what what they actually look like uh, in in either four or eight K which I think some of them are available to do now so. can we even see an eight K that's ridiculous I don't know it's like I just feel like all the subtitles are going to be impossible to read. Um, so, yeah, that's it, the specs list. You can find a link to that story uh, that Okotaku has done, sort of breaking it down, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek look at the different tech specs between the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Um, I want to also talk a little bit, because, I mean, this is something that's sort of been dominating the news uh, over the whole world. Um, the, the, a little game, it's sort of that's come out called uh, Wash Your Hands. Uh, it's an itch game, sort of, uh, Semi live stream component to it, um, and it's cool. It's basically by um, it, it looks at like kind of the the tally of the people who have been impacted and the I guess the death toll of people who've died from COVID nineteen. There's an MMO sort of light element into it, and people can visit the graves and, and get different statistics. But um, yeah, it's kind of it's really interesting to think of at a time where people are. You know, in the arts, finding it very difficult as sources of inf- of their income disappear, um, and that they're still able to to create pieces like this, which are sort of really poignant, and uh, I guess capturing that moment in time. If you get into this game now, you're seeing exactly what's happening. If someone plays in two days' time, it'll be very, very different. It's what have you seen this game? What what do you think about it? I had a quick look at it and. I think
1: it's very fascinating and very interesting. I, you know, it's we're in a pretty uncertain period in time at the moment. It's very uncomfortable, and I find myself kind of going through, kind of almost like a regular, semi-weird grieving process about how much is changing and and what we may potentially lose in the coming weeks and months. Um, and so, there's something um, kind of powerful about a game that works to kind of put you in that space, but also try to archive what this feeling is as well and i think that that's what this game is trying to do It's trying to emotionally make you think about what's happening in the world and and also probably stimulate a response to to kind of make sure that you're doing the right thing as well at the moment with social distancing and, and isolating and, and so forth
0: it can be especially in a lot of these places as these numbers just kind of increase it, you know it can be quite easy when you're hearing these numbers increase you hear 30 new cases per day 50 new cases 80 new cases whatever it is but we hear it in that context but that's, they're all people um, and kind of putting that into the context of the people who have been impacted by this is sort of, I think, it's a sort of a sombre reminder, not that everyone is kind of not aware of what's going on, but we are sort of at this very moment experiencing a bit of a moment where a lot of people are not taking the precautions very seriously, especially in Australia. Um, and, you know, we've had our first sort of day of, of lockdown of a number of businesses. It's There's also going to be like the long-term effects to people who work in the arts and, and anything that's in the public life, if you own a venue and stuff. So, yeah, it's – I think a lot of these times artists are kind of at a moment, especially in game developers included, where, you know, y- all you know how to do is create, so they're still creating these, these, these really poignant little experiences. Um, it, it's maybe not for everyone, but um, if you want to check it out, very simplified sort of graphics-style uh, game, it's available um, – very right now, it's called "Wash Your Hands" by Awkward Silence Games, and you can find that uh, a link to that in the description of this episode of Mainstream. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. So this has been Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's what video games the Pixel Sift team have been playing and what they've been reading online. My name is. Gianni, and thanks for being part of episode 10, Adam. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Uh, Adam, if people want to find you online, where can they go to? You can find me on Twitter at Adam Christu. And I'm on Twitter at G underscore D I underscore G. You can give Pixel Sift a follow on social media as well. So that's at Pixel Sift on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, and if you like. This show, Mainstream, we also do another one that's actually won an Australian podcast award. It's just called Pixel Sift. If you search for that in your podcast player and look for our logo, you should be able to find it. And in each and every episode of that, we talk to game developers, people from the Australian and international games industry, and we find out what it actually takes to make games. So if you're curious about what it, what it does take to make a game, then that's the one to listen to.
1: Yeah, and we've got heaps more for you that you can check out on our website. You can see videos, articles, and much more at pixelsif.com.au. And uh, you can give us a rating or review as well. So that's pixelsif.com.au. But yeah, if you like what you heard, why not tell someone that you know, a mate, let them know about the show, get them to subscribe, and they can uh, listen to it on the podcast player of their choice.
0: That's it for mainstream for this week. Uh, We will see you next time. Until then, have fun.